Hello and welcome to Fourth Estate, a show about journalism. We're coming to you from Teresia in Sydney on the lands of the Gadigal people, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. I'm Anthony Dockrell. The fate of Julian Assange will soon be known. Currently, his legal team is arguing for a full appeal in the UK. And if that is allowed, it may stop his extradition to the US to face 17 counts for soliciting, gathering and publishing US military and diplomatic documents. Assange founded WikiLeaks in 2006 and in 2010 released large amounts of documents that were embarrassing to the United States over its activities in Iraq. He's been fighting extradition first to Sweden and now to the United States since 2010. He famously entered the Ecuadorian embassy in 2012 and remained there until 2019. So just what are the implications of Assange's current appeal and what protections are there for doing journalism if Assange finds himself in the US? To discuss Julian Assange's appeal and the legal challenges he faces, we are lucky to have someone who's been following Assange's case closely. Professor Holly Cullen is an adjunct professor at the University of Western Australia. She is an expert on international law and human rights. Professor Holly Cullen, welcome to Fourth Estate. Welcome. Julian Assange is currently appealing his extradition to the United States. It's been almost a five-year battle to stop this extradition. Is this his last legal hope inside the UK legal system? Well, we're at sort of a fork in the road. If this is a request for leave to appeal, if that is granted, it goes to a full appeal on the merits at some time to be uh, settled later. Probably best guess would be later this year. If he loses, then the only possibility would be to make an urgent application to the European Court of Human Rights to make an order to the UK not to extradite him pending a full hearing by the European Court of his claims. Am I right in saying that if he's unsuccessful and if, if, the, if uh, he isn't given, uh, given the ability to appeal this uh, through a European Court, he could be in America in a matter of days? It could be. Um, I somehow think that, you know, the... Even the application to the European Court would take a little while because it's, you know, it's a, there are serious legal arguments to be heard, even for an interim order. So when they say days, I suspect it means more like a week or two. Look, I feel the case is complicated and this protracted. It, it needs to be unpacked for the listeners a little bit. Assange has been fighting extradition for five years, but this matter goes back even further. Let's go back to the beginning of his legal problems in the UK. How did this all start? Well, the beginning is the WikiLeaks leaks in 2010, um, including those that related to the conduct of the US in Iraq and Afghanistan. Shortly after that, an unrelated matter was charged, uh, a sexual assault matter in Sweden, and the Swedish prosecuting authority sought a European arrest warrant. This was 
so long ago, the UK was still part of the EU then, um, to interrogate him in uh, in Sweden about the uh, the allegations. Now, at the time, uh, Assange said that he didn't want to go to Sweden because he was afraid he would be extradited to the US uh, from Sweden. That has always perplexed me because if you look at the US-Swedish extradition treaty compared with the US-UK extradition treaty, I personally would prefer to be fighting extradition from Sweden rather than from the UK. The UK-US extradition treaty was updated shortly after 9-11 and makes it very, very easy compared with other countries to extradite to the US. But in any event, what happened was after his challenges to the European arrest warrant ran out and he was unsuccessful, he um, walked into the Ecuadorian embassy, claimed political asylum and refused to leave. And therefore, the um, order for him to be transferred to Sweden could not be executed because if you're in an embassy that is protected uh, territory, protected property, and the authorities from the host state cannot enter without permission. So the British police could monitor the comings and goings of the Ecuadorian embassy, but they could not go in and arrest him. And they could not do that until 2019 when the Ecuadorian government gave them permission to do so. And that's where we start with the extradition proceedings. Um, now, I understand Sweden has withdrawn its request for extradition, but America yes. has shown no signs that it will withdraw these charges against Assange. Is that unusual or is that typical for the US to be this dogged? I don't know. Um, I couldn't say having looked at that I've looked at this comprehensively. You also have to remember these are very different types of charges substantively. The uh, And the legal systems are different. In Sweden, some of the charges against Assange actually had to be dropped because it was too long since the original complaint. So by the time he became available again in, that, in 2019, most of the charges had already lapsed. There was only one left, and the Swedish court said, no, it's been too long, be difficult to have a fair trial, and therefore we're not going to let you proceed with this. So that's what happened with Sweden. Um, with the U.S., because um, most of the charges against Assange are under the Espionage Act, that is regarded as both criminally and politically more serious. And it's unsurprising that once they took the decision to pursue the charges, that walking away from it is much more sensitive. If this appeal is unsuccessful, there, there, you've just mentioned there's one avenue left open to him, which is a, an appeal to the European Court of Human Rights. Uh, what would that appeal look like? Well, it would be an application for, for the European Court to hear his 
rights claims. And accompanying that would be a request for interim orders to ask the UK not to uh, remove him from their territory until the full case has been heard. That happened recently in respect of the UK when they were, they've been trying to set up an offshore refugee uh, asylum seeker processing system not dissimilar to what's been going on in Australia, but with Rwanda as the place where the offshore processing is taking place. That obviously has been very controversial, and some of the people who were subject to orders to be deported to Rwanda for processing applied to the uh, European Court of Human Rights, and they did get an order saying, no, you can't um, you can't deport these people until we've heard the whole case. And that was, uh, so they won that order and that was respected by the UK. So I expect the same thing would happen with Assange. What would be the legal arguments you think Assange would be making if he went to the European Court of Human Rights? Well, they won't be very different from the arguments he's made in the UK courts, which draw in part from the UK Human Rights Act, which incorporates uh, or makes uh, accessible the rights in the European Convention on Human Rights in the UK legal system. So freedom of expression, fair trial, um, cruel and inhuman treatment in the prison system, abuse of process, that kind of thing. It would be very similar arguments that he's been making since the beginning of the proceedings. Now, the Obama administration looked at charging Assange but chose not to, not out of love Mm -hmm. for Assange or WikiLeaks, but because it felt a successful conviction would have made much of the work of of being a journalist in America illegal. The, The Trump administration saw this as a feature rather than a problem when pursuing Assange. Is this an argument that could be used at the European Court of Human Rights, that this is an attack on the practice of journalism and speech? Yes, that is, that's really the basis of the freedom of expression argument, is that because Assange is essentially being charged as a publisher of sensitive information rather than as the leaker, that this is a direct attack on journalists and anybody who's engaging in the public, you know, the public dissemination of uh, sensitive material as opposed to actively leaking it. Now, that argument, of course, is available in the U.S. under the First Amendment, but some uh, officials under the Trump administration argued that in this kind of circumstance, in national security situations, people who were not U.S. nationals could not rely on the First Amendment. That's not an issue that's fully resolved, but it is obviously a very worrying um, development in his potential legal arguments if he winds up in the U.S. legal system. 
The downside of the freedom of expression argument in under the European Convention on Human Rights is we don't have any European Court of Human Rights precedents applying the right to freedom of expression as a bar to extradition. So we are in some extent uncharted legal territory with that argument. Look, there's been a seismic shift in the political opinions around Assange in Australia. Assange now enjoys support on all sides of Parliament. An Albanese government has raised the matter several times with the Biden administration. US Secretary of State Anthony Blinken has recently publicly rebuked the Australians' request for the charges to be dropped. Have you been surprised at how little impact the Australian government has had with the US on this matter? Well, in a way, yes, I think... Because of the political sensitivity, it becomes very difficult once you've gone down that road to walk it, to walk it back. So even though under the Obama administration, not only was Assange not charged, but he commuted uh, Chelsea Manning's uh, sentence and release and pardoned her. So there was a general feeling of let's draw a line under this. But once it's been decided, it then becomes, well, you've decided this is so important for our national security. Why are you changing your mind? And that becomes a big deal. And it is an election year in the US. So also what you see with things like this, where you have an Australian detained abroad and the government making representations is It looks like nothing's happening until it's successful. So you really don't know with these kinds of diplomatic representations whether there is movement, but not yet enough movement to achieve the desired result. Were you surprised that US Secretary of State Anthony Blinken was so public in his rebuke? A little bit, because these things usually are being discussed at a diplomatic level it possibly suggests that he was responding not only to repeated questions from journalists, but also responding to conversations that he had had with members of the Australian government. Now, at the end of the day, although Blinken or the president could make the political decision to end prosecution, the person who actually has to sign the paperwork is U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland, and it's worth remembering that it was mentioned during the debate on the uh, parliamentary resolution on Assange last week that uh, Australian Attorney General Mark Dreyfus has raised the Assange case recently with Merrick Garland so that those conversations are happening with the actual decision maker. What level of legal support has the Australian uh, government given Assange so far? Well, he's had consular support throughout. In other words, uh, officials from the Australian High Commission in London have offered him support at uh, various times. Now, for a few years, under the previous government, he declined uh, support from uh, from the High Commission, but uh, recently has accepted again and Uh, The current High Commissioner to the UK, Stephen Smith, who of course is a former 
foreign minister, former defense minister of Australia, visited Assange personally early in 2023. So there's been quite a public display of support as well as whatever practical support they have been giving him. Is there more legally that the Australian government could be doing? I don't know. uh, Assange has a very good legal team with very experienced legal practitioners supporting him. He has had access to consular support. It's difficult to see what more can be done in terms of support for him in the case as opposed to the diplomatic representations trying to get the prosecution ended altogether. Assange has won a Walkley. He's also won the Sydney Peace Prize. If the matter finds itself in front of the European Court of Human Rights, do you think the Australian government should be more vocal and make more more of this issue than they have so far? Well, it's difficult to say. The, The Australian government, of course, wouldn't have standing to appear before the uh, European Court of Human Rights, it might be able to put in written representations in the same way, say, that an NGO like Amnesty International does in some of these cases. I don't know whether that would be more persuasive. It it might um, to see that. But there's certainly lots of evidence on the public record that that the Australian government supports uh, Assange. So I think that that's something. The question of his standing as a journalist, I'm sure all of that information about the Walkley, etc., would be put in, in evidence. I think a lot of it comes down to whether the court could be persuaded that there's a serious risk that he wouldn't be able to rely on the First Amendment in the U.S. Because in extradition cases, there is a tendency for courts in places like the U.K. and Europe and Australia to respect the courts of another country that where that's a democratic country with a good rule of law. So I think on the freedom of expression issue, the main difficulty would be persuading the European court that there would be a serious risk that his freedom of expression rights would not be protected by uh, an American court in this process. If Assange is unsuccessful and finds himself in the US, what kind of jail time is he currently looking at? Well, the maximum sentence for all the charges he faces comes to 175 years total. Yesterday in the the court proceedings, the lawyers for the American government said that they would would expect it would be a 30 to 40 year sentence. I don't know what level of remission and possibility of parole there would be with that. So it it would still be a very substantial sentence, particularly given, you know, we're talking about somebody who is 52 years old, has had many health challenges, even 
a 30-year sentence, even with remission for good behavior, is going to be a substantial part of the rest of his life. Uh, and I, I know that uh, his legal team are basically arguing that it's a death sentence if he's sent to America. Uh, but there's also the factor that uh, that America could uh, put additional charges on Assange if he's extradited to America, and those extra charges could attract a death penalty. Now, my understanding is the UK normally refuses extraditions where death penalty is in play. Is that being played out in the appeal at the moment? It, I think it has been discussed that there is uh, the op- the that there is the fear of other charges. Now, one standard feature of extradition treaties is that you can only, if if state X requests extradition from state Y, state X can only charge person with the offences that they have listed in the request for extradition. So if they were to add further charges that involve the death penalty, that would be a violation of the UK-US extradition treaty, which would be quite exceptional. If Assange does stand trial in America, you've already touched on this, would he... Would he be able to argue the charges are unconstitutional because of the First Amendment? I mean, that normally would be something that a journalist in America would be reaching for straight away, wouldn't they? Definitely, definitely. Um, I think that there is there's definitely a possibility he could argue that. There would be very likely this argument that he cannot invoke the... First Amendment because of being a non-national and this is a national security situation. I don't think there's a clear precedent in U.S. case law on this, so it would be argued probably up to the Supreme Court. Uh, There is also concern that some in the legal community in the U.S. have argued that the that the interpretations of the First Amendment are too protective of journalists in any event, and they would like to get the Supreme Court to reopen this issue more generally. So there is the this is a very, very big issue for journalism in the United States. And it is interesting that that was the reason why uh, the Obama administration did not pursue charges that they felt that that was and that to do so would undermine the First Amendment. So there's actually a lot riding on this case if it does make its way to America. What have journalists in America been talking about? Have been saying about this matter? Well, I, I can't say I have a comprehensive view, but I think, but certainly he has a lot of support amongst uh, journalists, even. You know, even as in the UK, some journalists who have maybe had less than good working relationships with him and with WikiLeaks are four square behind the idea that these charges are a terrible idea. Could Australia request Assange be moved to Australia? I mean, this is if he's found guilty in America. Is there is that is there a mechanism for that, or has there been a precedent in that situation? That 
that can always be negotiated between states. Uh, in fact, that is one of the points that the U.S. government has raised in their diplomatic assurances about the treatment of Assange in prison, that if he is convicted of these offenses, that they would at least consider allowing him to serve his sentence in Australia. You've been following this matter for a long time. I've, I've noticed you've written a number of articles in the conversation um, over the years. Uh, what are your feelings about the Julian Assange case? It's a, it's a pretty exceptional case about uh, extradition. You do sometimes see extradition matters that get fought all the way to the top court of the jurisdiction. We've seen some of those in, in Australia. But this is really exceptional, both because of the international implications of it and because of the various delays that have happened. I mean, one of the reasons that the proceedings in the UK have taken as long as they have is the, the courts were closed for a while because of COVID. So what was supposed to be the first stage of the hearing should have been completed by about mid to two-thirds of the way through uh, 2020. And in the end, the judgment uh, from the district court was only issued in January 2021. So everything has... So some some of this has been choices that Assange himself has made, such as going into the Ecuadorian embassy. Some of this is circumstances like COVID and some of it is just a a really long, complex process that is touching on almost every aspect of extradition. Let's end with the appeal that's happening at the moment. It's it's meant to be over by today. Uh, How quickly do you think we'll hear the judgment? I don't know. I had a quick look at the coverage of yesterday's um, hearing, which was the uh, the U.S. government's arguments, and the court has basically said they will give the judgment at a later date. I tend to think that the longer they take to think about this, the more likely it is they'll decide that this should go to a, a full appeal, but I may be wrong on that. So I guess we'll know very soon. Uh, do you have any feelings on how this will play out in the short term? I don't know. I My sense is now that the stakes are very high and some of the behavior of some U.S. officials might make some of their earlier, earlier assurances a little bit less rock solid, shall we say. And I'm a little bit more confident that he will proceed to a full appeal than I than I was after the first rejection of a review of the Home Secretary's decision to extradite. But it's but it's really very difficult, and the usual practice is for courts in countries that have received extradition requests to process them 
and to defer and to defer to the courts in the requesting country, particularly if in uh, democratic countries with established rule of law mechanisms. Well, it looks like we're at a real fork in the road in what's been an incredible legal story here and, and one that obviously cuts the heart of journalism. Uh, we'll be covering this, of course, on Fourth Estate. And, and, and Professor Holly Cullen, I'd love to have you back on when we see whether this is going to appeal or whether Julian will end up in America. For the time being, thank you for being on Fourth Estate. been a pleasure. And thanks for listening to the program. This edition was recorded at the studios of Tour CR and heard across the country on the Community Radio Network. Fourth Estate is produced with the assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Thanks to the Foundation for the continuing support. Make sure you subscribe to Fourth Estate on your favourite podcast app so you can hear us talk about media, politics and a lot in between. We'll be back with more next week, but in the meantime, you can stay in touch with us on Twitter. Our handle is Fourth Estate AU and we are also on threads. I'm Anthony Dockrell. Thanks for listening.